0: Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today.
1: After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy... The tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crownland Port, Chicago, Illinois.
0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me is my colleague Peter Flaherty. Millie is here. She is asleep. Uh, she is not happy that she didn't get to go to Omaha, but Peter and I are back from Omaha and it was quite the, uh, the exciting tournament overall. The finals were, I don't know, they were exciting and then they weren't exciting, but overall they were exciting, I guess, and we can now talk about you know LSU as the national champion. They won the, the finals, they beat Florida in three games. That wrapped up on Monday night, and uh, so yeah, we're going to uh, run through all things that 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 happened in the finals and, and take a final look here uh, at the 2023 College World Series, uh, which uh, was a it was a a great tournament, one of the the best tournaments I think. Uh, although, and maybe we will get into this a little bit uh, as well. You know, I think a lot of people remember the tournament more for the final than for anything else. And because of the way those last two games played out, I do wonder if some of all that talk and look, we did it here on the podcast as well about how the 2023 was like one of the best College World Series ever. I do kind of wonder what history is going to actually remember about it. But anyway, we'll uh, we'll get to that in due time, Peter. I, I guess uh, as as we uh as we talk about this, though, we're we're back from Omaha. You had your first College World Series experience. So let's just start there. What what was your your what are
2: your takeaways from your first time at the World Series? It was an absolute blast going into it. I was super fired up for it, both given the field and the talent in the field and the potential that eventually ended up. It The potential got lived up to of all of these great games and matchups and and stars shining. And it was, it was an 80 great experience all around from the games to the fans that were there to the people that were there. It was top notch. And I, it it I couldn't have asked for a better rookie campaign out there. It was a, it was an absolute blast of a couple of weeks. And I think you hit on it best. We had all these great games, really 14 outstanding games. And then. While the result, LSU in three, was I think what we each may have predicted on the podcast um, leading into it, um, the last couple of games, I don't want to call them duds because you can't really call a national championship game in which a team comes out on top with a title, I guess a dud, but um, very out of the ordinary and unexpected. But it was it was an awesome couple of weeks, and I think it culminated with the two best teams playing against each other and, and LSU, which had some of the highest expectations of, of any team in recent memory and the biggest target on their back. And and they were able to come out on top. The, 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 the way the final played out was a little strange. The first game
0: was kind of like an all timer, you know, it goes extra innings and LSU has to win in 11 innings for the second, second straight game, having beaten Wake Forest in that fashion to get to the finals. And then game two, Florida bounces back and wins, you know, and set not not only do they win in in a, in a route, but they set a record for the uh, number of runs scored in a single game in the College World Series, which is like a remarkable thing to do. Not just in that, like, oh hey, you set a record for this tournament that's been played for seventy five years. Like, that's cool. Uh, like that would be that would be a lot. But then when you consider like just the various offensive eras that the sport has gone through, and the fact that. They used to play with minus five bats as opposed to minus three, let alone like the BBC OR standard versus you know, not having that standard. And, you know, the fact that Rosenblatt Stadium played much more offensive for much of its history than TD Ameritrade Park and Florida dropped 24 runs, uh, which was bananas. Uh, they went by 20 runs. And like, then the next day everyone said all the right things about like how, from the LSU perspective about how like, oh, you know, we're going to come back and we're going to be ready for tomorrow. And, uh, you know, we're going to get some rest because it was a day game. Like they were like kind of looking forward to stealing some extra rest after playing a bunch of night games in a row. Like now you got a few extra hours and they actually did all of that stuff. That, that, That wasn't just kind of empty talk that you sometimes hear after game two. Like it's an emotional thing to have a chance to win the national championship and then lose it. But I guess because they, it was such a blowout, maybe it was easier for them to get over. And then they come out on Monday, they win 18 to four. The game was kind of closer than the final score. They, they scored eight runs in the final three innings to blow that game out a little bit more, but they, they didn't trail after the first inning Florida put up a quick two, and then LSU responded in the top of the second with six runs, knocked out Jack Caglione, and uh, you know really just changed the entire tenor of the game right there, and Thatcher Hurd settled into the game and gave them six quality innings, and uh, the bullpen did the, the rest of it, and one of the biggest talking points of the day, which was Will Paul Skeen's pitch, became a moot point as uh, they didn't need their ace to, uh, to take the mound on three days rest. So uh, LSU ends up the season in a dog pile in Omaha, which was, you know, to, to Peter's point, this was one of the most hyped teams in college baseball history, perhaps the most hyped team. The team that had the biggest target on its back all season long, and they eventually got there and did it. And uh, they, they celebrated, they lifted the trophy. Paul Skeens was named most outstanding player, uh, which interestingly the second year in a row that the most outstanding player has gone to a pitcher who did not appear in the college world series finals. Uh, I don't know how people generally feel about that. Like, I think he, like I voted for him. Um, I think Peter, you probably voted for him too. I did. Yeah. So like, I, I would guess it was relatively close to unanimous. Like, I, I don't know. Like it had never happened in college world series history, at least I maybe it was what in the finals, which dates back 20 years now, uh, where a player hadn't appeared in the finals and yet was named uh MOP, and now it's happening back to back years. I it's a little goofy, but anyway, like Skeens' is most outstanding player, the LSU, uh, you know, gets their their celebration, and you know, this really like long awaited uh, you know, buildup that had. You know they they really started like the drum started being pounded for LSU <sighs> coming out of the draft last year. I guess like Paul Skeens committed in late July. Maybe that was kind of when it started. as like, oh, this team is you know not only is this team going to be good because you know Dylan Cruz and Trey Morgan and you know Tommy White had transferred in before the draft, but then Ty Floyd you know, doesn't get picked, Paul Skeens commits. And at that point, it's kind of like, well, hello, like this team is, is going to be bonkers. And then, you know, as the fall goes on and, and, and you get fall ball, like it, it, the, the drum starts beating louder and louder. And by the time preseason comes, it's like, well, this is the clear cut number one team in the country and uh, everything that, that came with that. And, and for them to to go on and then actually win the national championship, they're just the second team. In the 21st century, that was preseason number one uh, that went on to win the the national championship. And the other one was 2019 Vanderbilt. And that Vanderbilt team was awesome uh, in his like in retrospect and in the moment. But also throughout much of that season, UCLA was ranked number one. So despite the fact that Vanderbilt came into the season ranked number one, uh, they flew not, they didn't fly under the radar. They were the SEC champions in kind of a runaway fashion, but they just they didn't have some of the same uh attention that this LSU team did, having the number one spot for twelve straight weeks and and you know having some of the the players that they did you know the Cruz, the White, the Skeens. Uh, that Vanderbilt team wasn't like JJ Bleday was a really good player, but he wasn't Dylan Cruz and they had a lot of older players, a lot of seniors on that team. So it's just kind of a different vibe. And so this LSU team had to deal with a lot more of those expectations over the course of the season. Uh, they dealt with some injuries along the way, nothing really phased them in the end. They are, they're your 2023 national champions. And, uh, it's, uh, it, it's a, a really cool story to, to see how all of that came together for them, but it's also, uh, just, a you know, an incredible team that they were able to uh, to to work through everything that they did to to get to that night in Omaha, um, you know, with the fireworks and the trophy and the dog
2: pile. Yeah, and and going back to the to the final series a little bit with Florida, and and then also touching on your point with Vanderbilt, it was really, you know, Austin Martin, JJ Bleday, Drake Fellows, guys like that, and again, really good baseball players, really good college players, but it wasn't the they didn't have potential. No, I guess Austin Martin and JJ Blade were each in the conversation for, for being picked first overall at some point, but they didn't have the, and nobody had the crew Skeens, Tommy white, kind of that big three. And I, I think that the hype again, it started a little bit kind of around this time last year. And then, as you said, it just kind of got, it, it just got louder and louder. The noise surrounding the team with, getting that Thatcher heard, getting some luck with guys not getting drafted or not or not signing, getting a really good freshman class to campus, which I think was one of the more underrated parts of this LSU team. I know in the end that it was mostly veteran-based, and, and the guys that that came through in Omaha were veterans, but you also get a really good freshman class to campus. We saw Griffin Herring in Omaha um, have a, a really good appearance out of the bullpen, um, Brady Neal at the start of the season before he got banged up, um proved that he'll probably be you know their guy down the road at behind the plate when Milazzo and or Travinsky move on. Um, you know, Jared Jones has some some big time raw power. I'd almost give it 70 grade raw power. He has 20 home run upside. Paxton Kling off the charts at I mean I could go on and on about these guys and they were set up well not only for this year, but I think going forward, especially with how coach Johnson utilizes the transfer portal. And I know that at the time Skeens was a great get um, given what he did at the air force Academy and um, the caliber player he was, but I don't think anyone foresaw the kind of jump he was going to make on the mound to turn himself what he is to turn himself what he is today. Um, There was so much buzz in the fall around him sitting triple digits and all the stuff about the slider becoming, you know, a double plus offering for him and all of this. And then to see it live on opening day against Western Michigan, it was like, okay, um, this guy is different than everyone else. And for him to sustain that throughout the year and for everyone, Dylan Cruz, Tommy White, um, Kate Beloso, Trey Morgan, that whole supporting cast to sustain their production throughout the year was incredibly impressive. And especially when they were able to weather that storm, in the later part of the year when there were a lot of questions around the bullpen and you know, they don't have the pitching to get through a tournament setting. They don't have the the pitching to sustain kind of a, a grinded out series in Omaha. If they go down one, um, how are they going to dig out of that? And then in the end it was the bullpen that ended up really shining between Griffin Herring, Riley Cooper, Thatcher heard out of the bullpen at times during three innings, Gavin Guidry, another freshman who's going to be really good. It was, A very very impressive season end to end for lsu um and especially living up to all that hype and then again just going back to the championship series game one i after the end of game one i was really excited for what the next one or two games um were going to bring uh just given the fact how close it was how well played the game was ty floyd um i know that Skeens was named most outstanding player in the end and i was thinking of other candidates who may have gotten some votes or or who may have warranted an MLP selection. Ty Floyd obviously is one. Eight innings, seventeen strikeouts is second most in CWS history, um, and he was outstanding uh, for his eight innings pitched. And I think that um, you know he really improved his draft stock, solidified himself as a as a day one pick. Uh, the fastball was jumping out of his hand that was his, kind of his go-to pitch and being able to pitch with your fastball is such a key and he was able to do that against a really good Florida team and then I don't think that they're in the spot that they're in now without Josh Pearson's catch in the 10th inning and I think that in a college world series with so many great moments and even the CWS, CWS finals with so many great moments and big plays big hits I think that this one is going to be an underrated one for the rest of time but just kind of set the stage, Florida had guys on first and second with two outs, um, with one out, actually, excuse me, in the bottom of the 10th inning after Cade Curlin singled. Um, you had Langford and Caglione coming up for Florida with a chance to walk it off and take a one nothing lead. Um, and then Wyatt Langford hits a, an absolute missile. Off the bat, admittedly, from my angle, um, I thought it was going to get over his head and be a, bo- and be a walk-off. Uh, Josh Pearson got a great read on it, made a leaping catch. Uh, LSU gets out of the inning. Riley Cooper gets out of the inning. And then the 11th, Cade Beloso leads it off with the home run, and and Cooper slams the door in the 11th. So uh, they go up 1-0. And then in game two, I think that you made a great point in talking about the series where I think that losing like this 24-4, to and I know that it's the least ideal setting possible to – to get absolutely curb stomped like that and lose 24 to four or have records set against you. But at that point, you kind of, I feel like you just go back into the clubhouse and there's really nothing you can do, but just kind of laugh and flush it. Like it, baseball is so weird. Stuff like that's going to happen. Florida's a great team. Um, they won 24 to four, but again, LSU really after the gosh, maybe the third, third or fourth inning they kind of punted on the game a little bit and so again 24 runs is impressive no matter how you do it um but they were gearing up for a game three it felt like from the fourth inning on and after that you kind of go back and regroup and it's like hey you know what we're still one win from a national championship we beat these guys in a really well-played game um the day prior we've got you know we feel really good about thatcher going tomorrow we'll have riley cooper and gavin Guidry still available and then if we really need them we've got the best pitcher in the last 20, 25 years in college baseball in our back pocket. So um, I think it was really easy to go in and flush that game and even kind of stop the, the massive wave of momentum that Florida built. And then even in the start of game three, when Wyatt Langford hit that home run in the first inning an absolute no doubter, I was like, Oh man, you know, here we go again. Um, I, I, that Florida might just be a runaway train at this point and, and run away with this thing. But Thatcher Heard after that, because Florida started the game with with two hits with the Curlin single and then Langford's tank. And then Thatcher Heard more than settled in. He threw six straight after the home run, he threw six straight, shutout, hitless innings, struck out seven guys, only walked two, spun a really good breaking ball as he has all year with spin rates over three thousand, fastball up to ninety-five, and then Again, the off you just kind of let the offense go to work. They got to a really, you know, Jack Caglione, it was evident from the start that it was going to be the uh, can't find the strike zone, trouble commanding Caglione, which has kind of been his M.O. all year, a tale of two pitchers where he'll either be all over the place or he'll be dialed in and give you six or seven really good ones. And it was unfortunate that um, it was not the six or seven really good Caglione um, that afternoon, both for Florida and then also just from watching the game, him when he's on, he is a really talented pitcher and and one of the most talented arms in the country. But uh, LSU jumped on him, and then they jumped on everyone else thereafter. And you know they could kind of let that national championship feeling marinate and and really enjoy it and and soak it in. So um, a very impressive showing end to end for the Tigers. And then talking about the Gators a little bit again losing in Omaha in, in game three in that fashion. Um, you know, I, I can't imagine how gut wrenching that is and, you know, losing it all in Omaha is brutal. But again, I think that they're really set up for the future. You've got a good core of returning guys with Caglione, Heyman and Curland, um, there, and you've got Brandon Neely still to turn to out of the bullpen, um, as well as some other really good, supporting cast members and I'm sure that they'll utilize the portal just as every team does so um, again I think that Florida is poised for another deep run to Omaha they I mean it's very realistic they find themselves in this exact setting again next year given who they have and, and who they'll probably be, who they'll probably be bringing in so um, they're probably not one for silver silver linings right now but still a really impressive season for Florida who won 54 games. Yeah, no doubt about that.
0: Um, and we will uh, we can get into a little bit about these teams moving forward here a little bit later. But yeah, if you're Florida right now, obviously you're not feeling good that, you know, you just lost the national championship in any way, shape or form. But to get back to this stage, which they hadn't been on since, you know, they hadn't been to Omaha since 2018, hadn't played for a national title since they won it in 2017. Uh, you know, I think that has to feel very good obviously you know and and this is a team that had a fair amount of expectations coming in but florida does every year i remember i was talking on some radio show somewhere early preseason, i guess we had them ranked number three and i was asked so like what's sell me on this team like what's different about 2023 florida versus 2021 or 2022 when they had started really highly as well and you know ended up losing home regionals and weren't you know, if if you just look at the NCAA seeding, NCAA tournament seeding in those years, they were near the back of the the hosts. And, you know, I I wasn't really sure how to do that. Like they had a lot of talent this year, just like they did those other years, but they were able to uh, put it all together this year and get back to to the stage. And health had something to do with that, but it, it's not just because they stayed healthy. Uh, you know, Wyatt Laneford is... Uh, is an incredible player, and Jack Caglione, uh actually in that game on on Sunday in that route, uh, hit his thirty third home run of the season, which you know matches the most hit by any player in the twenty first century, uh, and is the most hit since the bats changed to the BBCOR standard. Yeah, you know, so like having players like that emerge in the lineup. Uh, obviously is, is really significant, getting Spirit to come back, getting Waldrop to transfer in. And, you know, the, the the whole thing really came together for Florida. And it ends up one win short. And, you know, they get blown out in the final. And so I think a lot of people are looking at it like, well, LSU was just the better team. Like they they blew Florida out in game three, like Florida had their rotation set up and, and Skeens didn't even pitch. So LSU's just clearly the better team. And I, like, I don't think that's a wrong read, but I, I will say that like, you know, Peter's talking about that play that not just Peter, a lot of people in the ballpark thought that White Laneford had just walked off game one. And if they had done that, they almost certainly, especially seeing how game two played out uh, and LSU did punt a little bit at the end of that game, but you know, it was a blowout before they, like, officially punted. And if they walk off game one, Florida's your national champions. And, you know, LSU had Josh Pearson positioned perfectly. Pearson made a great play on the ball. But, like, that's still how close it is. Like, Wyatt Langford hit that ball, I think it was 112 off the bat. And, you know, Josh Pearson is in the right place, makes the play, and and the game continues, and Kate Beloso hits the, the go-ahead home run at the end. And, like... That's how close Florida is. That's not going to make anyone in Gainesville feel any better. I don't think uh, like I just watched an interview today that Kramer Robertson did. And you're asking, why are you talking about Kramer Robertson today? What well, Kramer Robertson was on the 2017 LSU team that got swept by Florida in, uh, in the finals. And I guess he plays for A Memphis right now in the Cardinals system. And I guess they were off on Monday because, in this interview, he said that after they played on Sunday, he went home to Baton Rouge, where his mother Kim Mulkey, as many of you know, is the is the LSU women's basketball coach. Uh, I guess they were just kind of given Monday off. so he he goes home and his mother is on a charter flight from Baton Rouge to uh, to Omaha for the the championship game. like uh, many LSU personnel went up there. And she said, she told her son Kramer, like, you can come, like, we, we've got a spot for you. And he declined because basically that, like, the weight of losing the national championship had been weighing on him so much for the last six years, he felt like he couldn't watch that game with anybody else, couldn't be in that stadium. And so, like, that's, like, they got swept and. It was like a close series, but they still got swept. It wasn't like they lost on some walk-off in three games or whatever. And so that's what losing a national championship can do. And so, like, none of these Florida players are going to feel good about this anytime soon. But they were, like, spectacularly close to uh, uh, a national championship here. And, and the how well Florida played in Omaha and throughout this season should should not be lost.
2: Yeah, it's funny. I saw that interview, too, this morning, and it I thought it was a really good perspective that he provided and um, a good refresher for for everyone out there about, you know, how stuff in Omaha and College World Series, especially the finals, you know, that's going to stick with you. And hearing him talk about, you know, how he, he wasn't even ready to, to step foot back at Charles Schwab Field after that, and I don't blame him. Um, And, you know, like you said, I'm sure that everyone on the Florida roster is, um, you know, they'll have different feelings about it, but I'm sure that they will all empathize with him and and feel similar to him. And then when Florida wins their next national championship, which um, that is absolutely a when and not an if um, this whole 2023 team, and maybe some members of the 2023 team are on their next national championship team. But regardless, whenever that next national championship comes, there will be a a little bit of a sigh of relief uh, from all on the roster. And then looking ahead a little bit to, to next season for Florida and in their recruiting class, so much hinges on the draft and, and so many variables that we could spend three hours, four hours talking about with the draft and signability and all of this. But as it usually does, Florida has an excellent recruiting class. And I think in, in a positive development, it is very pitching heavy. And if they lose a couple of guys at the top, particularly Steven Echevarria and Liam Peterson, a pair of a duo of right-handed pitchers um, who have have been excellent all spring. Um, If they lose guys like that, they're still pretty well equipped in the middle and the back end of their recruiting class with guys that can come in and contribute, not only down the road, but right away, like we saw this year with, with some of their freshman arms, Um, Cade Fisher, especially one of them. And then, Looking at the rotation, which I think that it, you have two big holes that you're going to fill. You're going to have to fill with Waldrup and Sprout. Um, I think it's great getting an anchor like Jack Caglione back. Continuing to polish him on the mound um, is going to be key. But I have ample faith in, in Florida's really good, co- really great coaching staff that they'll be able to do just that. So I think is, when they keep refining him and keep refining his delivery, he's going to be a guy that you can kind of view as your rotation anchor. And Cade Fisher seems like someone that you can seamlessly slide in there to, to pair with Caglione and give you a duo of really good lefties, one more pitch ability, another guy, more thunderous stuff and, and VLO. Um, and then obviously offensively Caglione's going to lead the charge again with, uh, Cade Kerland, Lou Kamen again. Um, and then I think that, one guy who I have circled that I would not be shocked at all to really have a, a big time junior season um, establish himself as a top five to seven round draft pick um, and be the guy that sort of comes out of nowhere, um, given his previous uh, track record of performance in college is Ty Evans. Um, you look at his stats for this year and, and just looking at the stats, nothing's gonna jump out at you. You'll probably be like, Oh, he had an underwhelming year. He had 239 with with nine home runs and 42 strikeouts to just nine walks. But coming to the College World Series, uh, he only had four home runs on the year. And in at Charles Schwab Field, which we've mentioned so many times, is notorious for being a an anti hitter park, very pitcher friendly really hard to get the ball up in the air and drive it out Ty Evans hit five home runs um, including a two home run game in Florida's 24 to 4 route um, to up his season total to nine and he he made the all tournament team for his performance which given the amount of talent in this year's field is extremely extremely impressive and so he's especially in the outfield like oh exactly because like when you start with Laneford and Cruz there's only one spot left. Exactly. So he was basically one guy competing with, gosh, however many other outfielders are in there, I guess we'll say 20 to 22 outfielders competing for one spot and deservedly so he got named to the all tournament team. So I came away blown away with with Evans and kind of really keeping my eyes on him as we go into the fall and next spring as as someone who will be, um, I think, a key contributor for the Gators. So they're set up well, I, I, I think.
0: The the position player group has some holes that they've got to fill, right? Because Josh Rivera is gone, you know, multiple years starting shortstop, moving on. Like, that's always a little scary. BT Ryapel, two-year starting catcher, moving on. That's a little scary, too. Uh, Wyatt Laneford ended the season basically playing center field every day for the last month, I would say. Like, switch kind of happened for good in the SEC tournament, I guess. So, like, the spine of your team is going to look a little different next year. Does Curlin move to shortstop? Does somebody come in? That's more of a glove. Um, you know, we'll have to see they've got some options at catcher. Luke Heyman can play back there. They brought in a transfer from coastal Carolina. That's a really good pitch framer, you know, but you are losing senior leadership with Ryan Pell and Rivera and Uh, So it is, no matter how you fill those roles, it's going to look a little different. And one thing that I've become very attuned to after the last two years is, you know, it's one thing to fill the production. It's another thing to fill the leadership void. Uh, Like I am a firm believer in what, what went wrong at Mississippi State in 2022 and what went wrong at Ole Miss in 2023. Like, well, some of it was probably a little bit on the outside of us underestimating the influence of Tanner Allen and Tim Elko and Dylan DeLucha and players of that nature. So I don't wanna keep making that same mistake and like Rivera and Ryapel and Langford all leaving together does leave a bit of a leadership vacuum. And on the pitching staff, you know, having Sproat, who has been a multi-year member of the Rotation Leave, uh, is a little disconcerting as well. Now that being said, like Florida's gonna have plenty of talent. like you, you outlined a lot of it there. Uh, Pierce Coppola could be back from injury next year. That would also be a boost to, uh, to the rotation. Brandon Neely's going to pitch important innings, whether that's at the back of the game or the start of the game. You know, we'll have to see. Uh, but they'll they'll have options on the mound. They've got you know Cags and Curland. And Heyman in the lineup we saw a lot out of those guys and Ty Evans has been very intriguing at various points during his career uh for the last two years I would say uh and obviously in Omaha he played really 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 well so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see where they end up but like this is a, a really talented team moving forward there's uh there can be no doubt about that and uh, you know we know what what Florida is, is capable of doing in terms of recruiting. They've already added Colby Shelton through the portal, uh, freshman all American from Alabama who hit 25 home runs. The Florida native is is returning home uh, after one season with the crimson tide. So like, that's another bat you can plug into the lineup. Uh, you know, they're probably not done in terms of stuff like that. So I, they're, they're in a, a really good spot uh, and, and, you know, with, uh, with that staff, Kevin O'Sullivan, Chuck, Chuck Turalum, like th- those guys have done a really good job for multiple years for Sully for almost 20 years now. Uh, so we'll,
2: uh, we'll, we'll see where they are, but I, I, you have to feel good about that team moving forward. Yeah. And I think that you're going to have to feel good about Florida, not only next year, but really so long as that staff is in place, I think they, do, they, they do such a great job year in and year out. I know they had a couple of premature exits recently, but, coming into the season, their, their roster is as, you know, loaded as, as anyone in the country. And then I think again,
3: we're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search match with indeed. If you need to hire, you need indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. That's why I use Indeed for our hiring at Baseball America. It allows me to do everything on one website. I get quality candidates. I can schedule them. I can interview them. I can screen them. I can send messages to them, all within Indeed. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com/baseballamerica. Just go to indeed.com/baseballamerica right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. indeed.com/baseballamerica. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better
0: time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today.
1: After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, you are a fighter. medella is your reward. medella the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port Chicago, Illinois.
2: Flipping back to LSU and, and looking towards the future a bit, they're man, they're gonna have some some pretty big shoes to fill offensively, and I think that they're impossible to fill with the loss of obviously Dylan Cruz and then Cade Beloso, Trey Morgan also departing. Um, at least I I think that if they can keep at least one of Milazzo or Travinsky to to remain behind the plate, I think that would be a huge win. Um, referred a little bit to, to Jared. Yeah, LSU Gemma. has
0: a lot of guys who are like very – like they have like the clear-cut draft guys like in Skeens and Cruz and Morgan, and then they also have a bunch of guys that's like, well, maybe.
2: <laughs> yeah, there are maybe a lot not. of guys where they could get – we could be sitting here – in August or September, whenever we start to talk about the fall and saying, man, LSU, again, really lucked out with the draft because they have Travinsky back, Jer- Jordan Thompson decided to come back, Brandon Joe Bear is back again, um, Alex Malazzo is also back, and then you're talking about really replacing, again, three to four really big pieces, but it becomes a lot more manageable than having to replace two-thirds of your regular lineup. And then I think on the pitching side of things, again, you have an irreplaceable arm that will leave with skeins. Ty Floyd is also going to be a day one draft pick. But again, what we saw from Thatcher Hurd in Omaha, he's getting back to the 2022 Thatcher Hurd that pitched himself into a kind of being discussed as a top half of the first round selection in 2024. And if they can keep that Thatcher Hurd and keep him developing and and, and kind of get what they got out of him in Omaha, that's going to be huge to have him in the weekend rotation as as one of your anchors. And then Gavin Guidry, I think, is a I, – I was about to say position player, and I know as an arm he's still going to be a key contributor out of the bullpen, but I know this summer um, they he's going to be on the Cape Cod League, and I don't know how much he's actually going to throw, but I do know that he's going to get a ton of work on the infield, whether it be at second base or shortstop. Um, So he's someone I think to keep an eye on um, as a position player to maybe emerge Um, next year as a key contributor, Zeb Rudel, another one. Again, you you don't see him anywhere on the stats for this year, but he was one of, if not maybe their best freshman bat this fall um, for the Tigers. And then obviously, again, with Coach Johnson not only being an ace recruiter and then just the the nature of college baseball nowadays – um, there will be some transfer portal additions. We already saw it with the addition of Michael Braswell from South Carolina, middle infielder. And then another one who I think is going to be a key arm that will take people by surprise, just because no one will have heard of him coming into LSU from Xavier, is 6 6'5 left-hander Justin Lohr. Um, this year for the Musketeers, he was outstanding out of the back end of the bullpen. He was absolutely nails. 189 era with 63 k's and 57 innings and once he gets to lsu and has the the resources that he'll have and and the development and and just being around that great staff i know that you know he will turn himself into a monster for them so whether or not they keep guys like riley cooper nate ackenhausen um they have lore to to lean on and then Griffin Herring, another freshman, you kind of look towards guys who might be able to make that jump into the rotation. He's one of them. And then let's not forget they had a couple guys go down to Tommy John too. Grant Taylor was for my money's worth. And I know uh prospect writer Jeff Ponce's money's worth too. Grant Taylor was the best arm that we saw in the Cape Cod league last year, and they unfortunately lost him um before the season he even started. And He's sophomore draft eligible and um, it's kind of TBD on what's going to happen there. But if they get him back um, that's another big time guy that they're going to have. And so it's a little bit murky with LSU in terms of who they're going to lose to the draft, who they might get back. Um, But also similar to Florida, a really good recruiting class with, again, I think they're going to lose a few guys up at the top, but they're, they're, they're deep and they're well-equipped to have some key contributors right away. And I think that this this new era, the Coach Johnson era of LSU baseball, they're going to be a perennial top five, top top ten team so long as he's there, I think. Yeah, I mean,
0: it's hard not to be excited about what he's accomplished in two seasons in Baton Rouge. And, you know, obviously he inherited some really good talent. He'd be the first to tell you that. He is one of the first to tell you that, that part of the reason he took the job is because he knew he'd be able to coach Dylan Cruz for two years and Terry Morgan for two years. And, you know, he got a national title out of that group. You know, and the fact that, you know, you do have Tommy White coming back next year to anchor the lineup, like that's a really significant thing, even as uh, Cruz and Morgan move on. And, I mean, you start looking around, there really aren't that many positions that LSU is, um, you know, unclear at for next year. Uh, I, I Second base looks to be relatively open and like maybe one of the outfield spots, depending on how the draft shakes out. So like they're in fine shape, you know, we'll see what the the portal or the freshman class brings, uh, but you know, they're going to be really talented players coming to, uh, coming to Baton Rouge. I, the question now becomes, what the question has been now for LSU for, for two years is, is on the mound. And, um, you know, they're, they're going to lose their top two starters in Skeens and Floyd. And Floyd was underrated all year long because he wasn't Paul Skeens, basically. And it was easier to lump him in with the rest of the pitching staff than to put him with Skeens. Uh, but what you saw from him in game one of the finals, striking out 17 batters in eight innings, that's uh, only one person ever struck out more batters than that in a college World Series start. And Steve Arland, like Steve Arland is the legend. He struck out 20, but he did it in 15 innings. Uh, you know, like Ty Floyd did 17 and eight. And look, like, the game's changed and all the rest of that. But still, like Ty Floyd stepped up when they needed it. He he came through in it in, in as, as well as you could have ever asked anybody to do it and they're now gonna have to find a way to replace those two guys and and so the the pitching staff which was maligned all year long some sometimes rightfully sometimes you know scapegoated but they they came through in omaha they won this championship series without paul Skeens. like i can't tell you how many people on twitter or when i would go on radio or wherever like would say like oh you know lsu can't win without Skeens. like if if they ever lose game one, like in a super regional or in Omaha or wherever, like they're, they're done, they're toast. And like, they just won a championship series and Paul Skeens didn't throw a pitch. So like that says something about the strength of the pitching staff and how well they were pitching at the end. Uh, and also a little bit about the difference between uh, the NCAA tournament and the regular season, how tight you can make your circle in the NCAA tournament versus how much you need the full staff and the, in the regular season, although like they did throw like eleven guys in Omaha or something, and not all of them threw in that twenty-four to four blowout on Saturday, but a lot of them threw really important innings, and a lot of them came through in really big ways, like Floyd, like Atkinson, uh, like Cooper. So I I will be very interested to see how they go about building this thing out. There's obviously also going to be a new pitching coach as Wes Johnson moves on to Georgia. Uh, So a lot is changing on the pitching staff. And to me, that is really the question mark here for next year. I will never doubt a Jay Johnson offense, almost like you don't even need a guy like Tommy White in there, but like, especially not a Jay Johnson offense with like Tommy White and Jared Jones in the middle of the order. But the, the pitching staff, how it all comes together and not just how it all comes together this summer, but as the fall goes on and they move into February, what it all looks like that is going to be the most interesting Aspect of uh, of this team to me for for twenty twenty four,
2: yeah, without a doubt, because it could go one of two ways. Guys like Ackenhausen and Cooper, I'm sure that they will get opportunities if they really want to to sign um, this summer. That I'm I'm pretty sure of, but whether or not they take that and and or or turn it down will be a a huge difference maker for LSU one way or the other. And then circling back to the injuries again, Chase Shores um, was one of the most talented arms on this ultra-talented staff before he went down in the middle of the season with a torn UCL. Um, he was a eight right-hander, true freshman, um, fastball is up to 101, uh, really good slider, and then unfortunately his last outing against Tennessee in March um, was, was his last of the season. And so that's a guy that next year where we're sitting in May around – you know, late April, May, maybe around the SEC tournament where that's someone who's back for LSU and is a huge boost late in the season. So I do think that it is a bit murky on the pitching side of things. But with you, I I know that this offense, just as it did this year, is going to be able to hit them, hit the hit LSU to a lot of wins and maybe make up for a little bit of lack of depth on the pitching side, at least in the beginning of the season.
0: Yeah. And the what they have, potentially coming there in shores and he wasn't the only one that they, like you mentioned, Grant Taylor, we'll see what, what happens there. But like, they did have guys go down that potentially will return start of the season or at some point during the season uh, that can also help. And, you know, so it, it, that, that part of this is, you know, that, that's the biggest question mark moving forward. But like, that was also the biggest question mark this season. And, uh, you know, in the end, they, they figured it out. So, uh, that's not to say that like that's the way you want to live every year or that they'll be able to figure it out to the same level next year. You know, we'll we'll just have to see. But a lot to be excited about. Uh if you're an LSU fan, as you start to look forward, not that you need to look forward yet, but as you start to do that over the course of the next month or two, uh there there's plenty to be excited about there. Cade Beloso in their final press conference said that like they would need to build a whole new Intimidator for for what Jay uh, is is going to do at LSU, and you know, there we'll, uh, we'll we'll wait and see on that. But that there is plenty of optimism, plenty of support uh, in that locker room for Jay Johnson, as there very well should be. Like what what he got done there uh, in a very short amount of time is has been really impressive. And you know, l- looking forward, uh, it's it's not hard to see. LSU remaining at the the pinnacle of of college baseball, um, you know, in terms of programs for for however long he wants to to keep it going there in in Baton Rouge, and that that's lofty to say after two years, but like he he's done an incredible job, and uh, the way that they've recruited has been really high level, and it's LSU. It's not a program that like we're confused about seeing at the top of college baseball. So, um, you know, it an outstanding season for LSU and the future continues to be bright even as Skeens and Cruz and Floyd and Morgan and whoever else move on into uh into Pro Bowl.
2: Yeah, I mean I think it's just gonna be a team year to year. Um they're just gonna reload instead of rebuild. Um just given the nature of of coach Johnson and and who he is, his recruiting ability, being in the SEC, this national championship and I think that it, I'm going to try and phrase this the right way. Um, these are all guys that love being LSU Tigers and take great pride in playing for LSU. Guys like Dylan Cruz, Paul Skeens, Cade Beloso, Trey Morgan, all of these guys, for even after their time is done at LSU, which is now, um, they're going to be very outspoken about LSU and, and how it's this place to be. Um, and how Coach Johnson and, and his staff and whoever he brings on and this is a new pitching coach, how he's the guy to go to, um, both if you want to develop as a player and if you want to win. And I think that there's value in that, both in the national championship and these guys. But then also we could be sitting here and in three weeks talking about how Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens went one and two in the draft. And that, you know, is is really, really potentially remarkable. And I think that that's all of a cell that you're going to need for recruits. And it's like, okay, this is where I want to go if I want to develop, not only into a into a potential, you know, top hundred overall draft pick, but if I want to be the best at my craft, you know, I'm going to be an LSU Tiger. And um, I think it's going to remain that way as as long as Coach Johnson's there. And I, I think I agree with Cade below. So that the way that this is looking. Um, down the road, however long that might be, they might need to, uh, there might need to be an add on to the Intimidator. We'll, uh, we'll get into more draft stuff within the next two weeks,
0: uh, I would imagine. And you can also check out all of Peter and Carlos's and the rest of the draft team's work over at baseballamerica.com. But because this is a hot topic right now, Peter, and because we just named Paul Skeens our college player of the year, this is what everyone wants to know. Pro side, the draft world. Do you take Cruz? Do you take Skeens? Like, has Skeens passed Dylan Cruz and Wyatt Langford at, at the top of your personal draft board? Like, that that, that was the hot question in Omaha. It's going to be the hot
2: question for the next week.
0: Like, how high can you take Paul Skeens?
2: I mean, this uh, it's such a tough hypothetical because not only are you also involving Dylan Cruz in it, but I don't want Wyatt Langford to get lost in the shuffle either because what I saw in Omaha, both with how he performed in game you know, on the biggest stage against some of the best talent there is to offer. And then also even in batting practice, which I know it's a, it's tough to evaluate off of it, but you can see how the, you know, the ball flight has, how his swing works, how he's driving the ball and you could really shuffle it any which way. And there's an argument to be made for any of these three guys in any order to go top three overall, but the highest you can take skeins is first overall. And I got to admit that, you know, I understand the risk around pitchers um, you know, I understand the the kind of stigma around taking him first overall, but I mean when you know the nine innings are gonna have to come from someone or any collection of arms. And Paul Skeens is the best college pitcher, you know, he's a a generational type talent, and I don't know how much, if at all, you can pass on that. And I think that you're looking at one of the surest bets to be a number one starter, to be a front of the line, to be a front of the rotation ace, kind of your next face of the pitching side in Major League Baseball than Paul Skeens. Um, seeing him do what he did in Omaha blew me away, um, and I had really high expectations for him going into Omaha, uh, seeing him pitch for the first time in person, and he, again, blew him out of the water. It was – he plays catch at 97-101, to 101. His slider is a power slider in the upper 80s with tons of sweep that is, for my money's worth, I think, a 70 borderline 80-grade pitch. Metrically, it's an 80-grade pitch. His changeup, which used to be his calling card at Air Force, has also been an excellent off-speed offering, um, which I think is also double plus. And what really blew me away was, and this has really stuck with me, was his at-bat against Brock Wilkin in what was, I, I think, one of the best college games ever played in LSU's 2 nothing win in 11 innings over Wake Forest, it was against Wilkin in the first inning. He went slider, slider. Um, and you could tell, I mean, just like anybody, um, Wilkin was uncomfortable in the box. How can you not be against Paul Skeens? Um He went slider, slider to get to 0-2. And then he dotted a 101-mile-an-hour fastball on the outside corner for called strike three. And at that moment I was like, holy cow. And I didn't say holy cow. I was thinking a different word in my mind, but I was like, good (laughs) Lord. Like this guy is, you know, he's another worldly talent. And so again, I don't know if he's in my mind, again, this might just me being scared or soft. I don't know if I could pull the trigger on a pitcher number one, but man, I am really close on my personal board to having him one. I don't know at this point, I really don't know at this point how I can't. Um, And even talent aside, I think what, again, just adds to the aura of him and what makes him so special is his experience at the military academy and how that has contributed to his mental toughness, how he is completely unfazed on the mound, no matter who he's pitching against and where he's pitching against. He couldn't care less, and I mean that in a very positive and in the best way possible, just in the fact that he is not going to blink in the face of adversity and I think that that is going to serve him well not only through however long he's in the minor leagues which I don't foresee to be very long um, and then as he makes his way um, into the big leagues I, I think that that will that will carry him a, a really long way so I think that he is right there up at the top of my draft board he
0: he shouldn't pitch again this year probably just given the ramp down ramp up and the fact that he's thrown 122 innings already but like Look, I'm not I'm not as plugged into like some of the pro side discussions as I used to be, but like I don't see why he would play in the minor leagues at all given the way that the CBA has you know been been altered in this most recent time. Like there's a benefit to him breaking camp next year and like I don't really know what you're going to ask him to work on in AAA A or double A or whatever. So like some of that obviously depends on the team that takes him, blah, blah, blah. Like, but like, I don't really know why he needs any time in the minors, which I think adds to his case at number one, because if one of your problems with pitchers at number one is that they get hurt, well, like, you know, he can go be a big leaguer right now and less, less chance or less time for him to get hurt before he gets to the big leagues. Then like, and and to your point about the the mentality, like it is, it is different and it's not why we gave him the award. Like we gave him the award because he struck out more batters in a season than anyone since Jared Weaver. Uh, And he had like a 169 ERA and he was the unquestioned ace for the number one team in the country. And he was far and away the best pitcher in the country this year. Sorry, Rhett Lauder, you were really awesome too. But like, sometimes (laughs) this happens, Uh, you know, like he just was that guy. And so that's why he was, but part of the reason he is that guy is because the mentality is a little bit different. And some of that is the time he spent at air force. Some of that's just who he is, whatever. But the moment when LSU wins the national championship and everyone comes running out of the dugout to, to go dogpile, pile. Like if you're listening to this podcast, you've seen this by now, but like he's carrying Alex Milazzo who broke his leg uh, scoring you know, a few innings before. And so Milazzo's out there like with this huge cast on his leg and like, how's he going to get to the the celebration? Well, Paul Skeen's just like, he gives him a piggyback ride out there. And I uh, like, I can't like put too much on that moment, but the fact that those guys like orchestrated that moment themselves, like in, like it happened instantly. Like there's a, you can watch the video of them, like right before the final pitch, like, it looks like Skeens turns to him and says, I got you. And then he goes and he does it. Like, I mean, again, like I don't want to put too much on that moment, but that is a bit of an illustration of who Paul Skeens is. And like, it's a special player. It's also a special person that you're getting. If you, whoever, whoever picks Paul Skeens, that, that, that's what you're getting into your organization.
2: Yeah. and, And like you said, it's hard to put stock in a, in a seemingly small moment, but I think that is a perfect metaphor of who he is. It's, you know, others before self, and um, he is as big a team guy as they come. He could have a really big ego if he wanted to, um, but he has none, and I think that it is rare in today's game to have someone like that who's that good, and not only with Skeens, I think Dylan Cruz is the same way. Um, You know, he could be really loud and out there if, if he wanted to, um, but he's not, and same with Wyatt Langford. Honestly, Wyatt Langford is a very quiet go very about your business, yeah, <laughs> very, very go about your business type guy. And I think that these are are three players in as soon as you know three to five seasons that could potentially maybe four to five seasons, but this could be the next generation of of major league stars. And I know that that is a very lofty thing to say, but if not them, then who is kind of my mentality. And I know that there will be guys that pop up. There'll be guys in day two of the draft and day three of the draft that turn themselves into, into quality major leaguers and quote unquote stars. But I think that these three guys, um, have the potential to, you know, be the next faces of major league baseball. And then going back to Skeens in particular with, you know, how long, if at all, he'd be in the minor leagues. I am in the mentality of, he will not touch a baseball again this year i think you hit on it perfectly with ramping up ramping down ramping up the fact he threw so many innings the fact he threw you know so many pitches so frequently i don't think he's going to touch a baseball um but i think that he's a guy that you assign immediately to double a um he makes a handful of starts and i think you call him up and i think he's up in the major leagues next year by the all-star break and i think he's up there for a very long time so um and and these hypotheticals always are so annoying to me with the like could like alabama beat the jaguars no they lose a thousand nothing every time could the best college basketball team beat the worst nba team no they lose by 200 points but do i think paul Skeens could pitch in a lot of major league rotations right now maybe every rotation 1000 percent, he is that good so it there has not been an arm like this in a while, maybe ever, with Skeens. I think, you know, Strasburg and Garrett Cole are interesting comps, but um there has not been an arm like Paul Skeens in quite some time, if at all. So it will be very fascinating to see how it is handled and how he progresses to the major league. So I am I'm very much looking forward to it, but that will come in, in the spring of twenty twenty four. One last Paul Skeens
0: is kind of goofy kind of amazing story like just the get to the mentality bit of this i think it was in saturday or sunday's game i i believe uh it might have been saturday though regardless he's not doing anything as a starting pitcher who's not participating in the game that day so there's like a foul ball and it <laughs> falls in front of the lsu dugout and he like runs out to get it and he he eats it. Like, I don't know. He, he hit a, he hit a skid or, or or tripped or what, but he ate it. And like, that's just like, he is the best player in the country. He is like their most important pitcher. Like he does not need to be running around getting foul balls. Like they have other players that can do that sort of stuff. Uh, but that's, uh, I guess it must've been on, on Saturday nights. They were on the first base side, but like, that's just who he is. Like, you know, it's my turn. Like I'll, I'll go run out and I'll get the ball and, uh, Oh, whoops, I just slipped and fell on my face, but like, okay. I'm, uh, I'm just out here doing it like any other player on on the team. And, um, like, I think you're right. I think Cruz and Laneford would do the similar thing if they were pitchers or whatever the equivalent thing for hitters to do, you know, they, they, they would be participating in that same way. And it's, uh, it, it's a very interesting group that, you know, is at the top of the sport right now. And that, uh, you know, draft officials or, or evaluators are trying to trying to pick these guys apart. But in terms of makeup and, and mentality, the, those three guys all are, um, you know, definitely plus and, and skins feels like a, a clear 80. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right. So let's put a bow on the uh, 2023 College World Series. It was uh, it was fantastic. I do wonder, like I said, like, you know, just the way that people remember these things, like I do kind of think that the the ending matters a little bit. And so like is the enduring memory going to be that this was this incredible College World Series that had all of these one run games and like it had the, like you said, that LSU Wake Forest game in the bracket final was one of the best college baseball games you'll ever see. Like, will people remember that will they remember the LSU blowout at the end I don't know but uh I am just glad Peter that you and I were were able to uh to get to see it up up close and uh what a fantastic you know couple weeks of baseball that that got played in Omaha it was
2: Yeah and I I'm totally with you I could not be more thankful and lucky to have been there to have seen all of this live because again LSU in Florida was a fitting final and a really good final at that but we talked about it in the previous podcast that all of all eight of these teams um, were excellent out there in their own right. Even the teams that went 0 and two, to um, they played really well and especially the talent level on all of the teams. Um, and you combine that with the level of play playing really professional like games. I really ironically until the last two games of the whole thing, but um, it was, it was excellent all around. And as I said earlier, I think it was an, it was an 80 of a college world series. So Uh, At least for me, it might be uh, it might be like all downhill from here with (laughs) the talent and the level of with the level of playthrough. But I know next year and beyond, there will be uh, just as many storylines, just as many great players. And and another eight teams that we're sitting here talking about that we're really excited about. So uh, could not have asked for a better start and very excited for uh, for all that's to come. All right. So that'll that'll wrap the 2023 season for us. Uh,
0: thank you all for listening to uh, to the baseball America college podcast throughout the season. We really appreciate it. Uh, everyone that's, that's been subscribed or just hopping in here for the postseason, whatever it may be. If you found us at any time during the season, we are, uh, we are super appreciative. We hope you stick with us uh, as we move into off season mode, both on the podcast and over at baseball America um, and baseball uh, baseballamerica.com. Podcast wise, we will be back next week at some point to look at the draft and maybe it's some other kind of off-season transaction type moves, whether that's coaches or transfer portal, but definitely get ready for the draft, which is uh, approaching very quickly now. And then we'll probably drop it off uh, in July, let Peter focus on the Cape, let me focus on some off time and moving and other things. Uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll pop back up uh, at some point as we get into, uh, into August or September as, uh, as we can get into to recruiting and fall stuff and, and all of the other wonderful things that you've come to expect uh, in our college baseball coverage throughout the offseason. So we'll be back next week. So make sure you're subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you find your podcast, you can find us and hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Peter is at Peter G Flaherty. And all of the work is over at baseballamerica.com, which uh, I don't, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this Uh, by now. Hopefully I am. Uh, It'll have a new look soon. So uh, if you haven't checked out the website recently, maybe, maybe give a look. It's uh, it's going to get, get a bit of a refresh here uh, as we, uh, as we move into July. So, Thank you all again for listening, uh, both today and throughout the season. For Peter, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time on the Baseball America College Podcast. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today.
1: After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, you are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.